Well, as we sang that, I just, uh, I just want to encourage you. For some of you, it's been a really hard year. And, uh, you know, it was last March the 15th, I wrote in my little bulletin blurb there that we had our last public gathering, and then we were off for nine weeks. And I know for some of you, this has been really, really hard. Can I tell you just what we sang? Jesus loves you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you just need to know it. You need to be reminded of it. Oh, how wonderful and marvelous that love that he demonstrated for us when he went to the cross. That's, that's really the essential that we need to know and understand as we walk through life. And there's been a lot of disappointment and a lot of hurt and a lot of discouragement. And some of you may be walking through some of that right now. And I'll just tell you, you're not having to walk alone if you know the Lord. And every moment and every second, the Lord Jesus looks down upon you with kindness and favor if you're one of his children. There's just no doubt. The wrath of God has been completely satisfied in him, and because of that, he loves you. And nothing can separate you from that love today. I pray that we just not ever get over it. (laughs) Not ever get over it. Over the last nine weeks, we have, uh, and I've spent several hours each week, and we've had about 70-plus folks go through Financial Peace University. And in Financial Peace University, it's really kind of walked out baby steps for us. But the big thing he comes to in lesson number nine, which we just had this last Sunday and Monday, is this, that God really does own it all. And we are just stewards of resources for a temporary amount of time. See, we come into life empty-handed. And we leave life empty-handed. And you might have a big portfolio and all that kind of stuff, but can I tell you, you're leaving it all. You're leaving it all. But while you're here, you are not only a steward of your finances. Paul challenges us in this thought of we have a stewardship of what we do with God's word. So take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to pick up today in verse number 24, Colossians 1, 24. He says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister, notice, according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. With that, let's pray.
God, thank you for your word and challenge us in it today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your spirit who speaks and drives home the truths of your word. So, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are open. And then, Lord, may we be doers of the word and not just hearers only. In your name, amen. When we think of the term stewardship, if you grew up in church, you probably remember the thought of, I'm a steward, that means that I have resources of time, of talent, and treasure that I need to seek to invest in the kingdom of the Lord. That my time is from God, and I'm here for just a certain amount of time. We don't know how long that's going to be, uh, but, but while I'm here, I'm to steward my time. I'm to be a good manager of it. I'm a, a steward of my talents and abilities and the spiritual gifts that God has given me, the opportunities that he opens around me to use those gifts, and I am a steward of the treasure that God has given me. But Paul, I think, emphasizes that there's a fourth area that we need to consider. We are not only a steward of our time and our talent and our treasure, but we are a steward of God's word. Notice what he says and how interesting this is to me in in verse number 25. He says, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship, the stewardship is from God, which was given to me for you. Did, did you see that? This steward was, stewardship was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. In other words, Paul said, there's a certain amount of people in this world that I am going to have an impact on, and the church at Colossae is one of those groups of people. And he says, now I have a stewardship that was given from God for you that I might fulfill and do exactly what God wants me to do in sharing and showing in modeling and teaching and instructing and writing the word of God. I'm here for you. So as we think about a stewardship, we think about God's word, my life, and those that are around me. That God has given me a stewardship, not only of time, talent, treasure, but of opportunities to impact the people that are within my circle so that I can share with them the word of God. Paul felt this strongly. Now, I understand, Paul, you say, that guy was a missionary, that guy was a pastor, that guy was an evangelist. And I would say, listen, you share in that stewardship. You share in it. You, you may not be a, a full-time minister. But can I tell you? You're a full-time minister. <laughs> this may not be your full-time vocation, but your calling is to share God's word to impact other people so that as we think about our life and we think of this in light of verse number 25, we as believers are God's stewards given his word and opportunity to impact others. 
We are God's stewards, given his word to invest and impact other people's lives. So let's think about as this stewardship and as a steward, what we face in the words of challenges. First off, we, 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 we look at this. As a steward, we, we have a, a message to share. We have a great message. And the message is going to summarize what Paul has just been talking about in verses 15 and following. That God in Christ is working so that men and women and students and boys and girls can come to know Jesus as their Savior. But notice specifically what Paul says here. That as a steward, we have a message to share. A mystery has been revealed, and that mystery is Jesus Christ. Notice with me in verse number 26, 27, and then in verse number 2 of chapter 2. He says this, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery. Now notice down in chapter 2 in verse number 2. He says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. If you have a newer translation, it may say, but of uh, the knowledge of the mystery of God, Jesus Christ, or which is Christ. The picture is, is what was hidden for, for, for many years? What was it that was hidden? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, With the sin of Adam and Eve, the Lord said to the serpent recorded by Moses, I will put enmity between you and the woman, he says to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed, that the Lord is going to come through the seed of a a woman. We see in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that this Messiah was going to come through the family of Abraham, that through family one would come of whom the whole world would be blessed. We find in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, that through the line, the royal line of David, would come one who would sit on an eternal throne. The Messiah was going to come through David. Through Micah, we learned that he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. Isaiah would remind us that, that he would be born of a virgin. What is happening? There's this mystery that slowly got revealed. Slowly. But they fully didn't understand it. There were a lot of things still about Jesus that, that they didn't understand. And then you throw Isaiah 53 in all of that. And you realize the suffering Messiah who would die for the sins of us. There was a great mystery. They didn't fully understand it all. And then Jesus shows up. And with Jesus and the coming of Christ, we find that, boom, the mystery is revealed. That Jesus, as Paul has just told him, is the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things, and yet he lived in the flesh. There's a mystery. The mystery is Jesus has been revealed. That's the picture. They, they didn't fully understand that. But now the mystery has been revealed. 
But not only do we find that there is a mystery that's been revealed, there are riches that can be received. As, as believers, there are great riches for us. Notice what he says in uh, verse number uh, 26 into verse 20, or verse number 27. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Riches can be received. Jesus can come and live in us. <laughs> Notice what he says, that this, is, this makes us rich. Can I tell you today, if you know Jesus, you're rich. You may not have got your stimulus check yet, okay? So you don't feel rich yet, right? But the picture is, is that because of Christ, we have the riches of this hope and glory that Christ is in us. As we think about this, Paul over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7 says that this earthen vessel this old clay pot of a body has this treasure living inside. That's you today. That's you. If you know Jesus today, you have a treasure in you. And, 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 and the treasure isn't out here. Now, now think about this. For the Jewish people who would go and they would offer a sacrifice on the Sabbath day, and that the priest would enter into the holy place in the presence of God one time per year for the, for the nation on the day of atonement. Now, Jesus has come and Jesus can live in us that we have always complete, never-ending access to God in our life through Christ. That's the riches in us. Did you know many people have been rich on the outside and have lost it? I was just reading about some sports stars, guys like Kurt Schilling, who was a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox for years, and after he retired, made some bad investments and lost it all. Bernie Madoff looked like he was really rich on the outside. I mean, he only... Frauded about $64 billion, but, uh, and now, if you haven't read anything recently, he's terminally ill. And uh, the picture is, is people have had a lot of stuff out here and lost it. But we have a treasure here <laughs> that we will never, ever lose. If you know Jesus, can I tell you today, you're rich. You're rich. Not, not because of what you possess on the outside, but because of who you possess on the inside. It's the riches of Christ in you, the hope of glory. But then he steps into the next verse and he gives a warning. He says that we preach him, we preach Jesus, and then he says that we warn every man. Because he not only says, hey, there's a mystery that's been revealed in Jesus, and there's riches that can be attained. Jesus can come and live in you, but there is definitely a warning that Paul shares in this passage as well. This warning is to be heeded. Notice what he says in verse number 28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man. 
Now notice back in verse number 27, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and we preach Jesus, him we preach, warning every man. Here's the warning. You cannot enter into glory without Jesus in you. That's the warning. Some of you grew up and uh, had your kids grow up watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And, and everybody was after the golden ticket so that they could get to Willy Wonka's candy factory. I believe that many today are holding on to self-made golden tickets in order to try to get to heaven. There's the golden ticket of good things that I do. Lord, look at me, surely. My good's outweighing my bad. Look at all these great things I've done. I've got them all listed right here. This is my golden ticket. Lord, here's my golden ticket. I've been a church member. Lord, I've been faithful to my church. I've been giving to my church. Lord, look at me. Here's my golden ticket. Some are saying, Lord, look at me. Man, I've been a, a, a good spouse. You don't know how difficult it is to live with this person. I've been a good parent. I've been a good grandparent and good great-grandparent. I've shown love and generosity to my family and kindness to, to my family. Lord, here's my golden ticket. And the picture is, is it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man. It's Jesus as we sang, and, and I shared this morning in Acts 4.12, that there, there's no salvation in anyone, anything, any accomplishment, only one person, and that's Christ in us. A few years ago, I was able, during NASCAR weekend in Atlanta, during the Saturday race, which was not the big Sunday NASCAR race, but on the Saturday race, I was able to go up to turn one and go to an area where I wasn't supposed to be. I was able to stand right at the fence at turn one. And it, it is amazing to be down that close when that uh, car comes, you know, 200 plus miles an hour and goes around turn one. It is amazing. But you know how I got there? I rode in a golf cart to the head of security. That's how I got there. He said, hey, come here. You want to come to turn one and, and take a look at how amazing this is? Man, I'm in the golf cart, dude. We're ready. You know, my earplugs are in and we're ready. I couldn't get there on my own. I had to have someone give me access. And today, you're not going to get to heaven on your own. It don't make any difference what your spiritual or your love resume looks like, your kindness resume looks like. It's all about Jesus. The message we share is Jesus that God has revealed Jesus to us, the God-man, fully God, fully man. He died on the cross to bring reconciliation so that we could live in harmony with God in verses 19 through 23. We just looked at that. And now, through Christ, we can experience the richness of his presence in our life every day and the richness of stepping into glory. You, You do realize the best is yet to come. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the greatest part of our life hasn't even come close to starting yet. That's that moment 
When the prayer of Jesus in John 17, 24 is answered, Father, I would that those that you've given me may be with me. And at that moment that we're with him in his presence, standing amazed in the glory of heaven, we'll know now, finally, the best has come. We have a message to share. That's what we do as stewards. We have a message. You have a message. Who's in your circle? Paul says, look, for you, it's important that I live this out so that I can share it. God's given me. He wants me in your life to fulfill the word. It's important. We have a message to share. Paul not only tells them and shows them that he has a message to share, but he also shares that he has a a reason to persevere. Notice in verse number 24, he says, I now rejoice in my sufferings. Hmm. Think about Paul. Five times in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said that he was beaten 39 times, or whipped 39 times. 40 would have been that picture of a death sentence for somebody to be uh, whipped, scourged 39 times, five times, three times, beaten with rods. One time, stoned and left for dead. Three times, shipwrecked. He said, I've been in peril. I've been in trouble from those who were my countrymen, from those who weren't my countrymen. I've lived in coldness and nakedness and hunger and sleeplessness. And yet, why is it that Paul keeps pressing on? Because he's a steward. He's been entrusted for this certain amount of time to fulfill God's word in the life of the people that are around him. So as a steward, we have a reason to persevere. I realize that as you seek to live for Jesus, there is going to come some semblance of suffering. It may be that someone makes fun of you. It may be that someone teases you. That you maybe don't get that promotion because someone says, ah, you're, you're just, you're, you're too religious. The picture is, is that Paul did not quit when life got hard. He kept persevering. Why? Because he felt his life was under the stewardship of God. I want to tell you today, some of you over the last year, you, you've thought, man, I just, I'm ready, I'm ready to quit. I don't want to serve. I just want to sit back and let everybody take care of me. Can I tell you, you are a steward. You have a reason to persevere. First off, you have a reason to persevere, and that is, that, that involves the Lord Jesus himself. Notice it with me in verse number 24. He says, I now rejoice in the sufferings, in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? His reason to persevere first is for the cause of Christ. Now, when he says, I'm going to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, he's not saying that the suffering of Jesus was in any way not sufficient, inefficient. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is this, that after Jesus died and went to heaven, and as we seek to live for him, 
we complement his suffering by facing sufferings in our own life. We, we bring that completeness of suffering because as we live for Jesus, we're going to suffer too. We, we, we continue to press forward so that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12, it says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But he says, look, for the cause of Christ, and remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul was called as one who was persecuting believers. And do you remember what Jesus said to him as he was persecuting believers? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute those believers? Mm-mm. Why do you persecute the followers of the way? Why do you persecute the Christians? No, Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That they were sharing in the suffering of following Christ. So it's for the cause of Christ that we press on. Jesus suffered for us. So we press on, even when life's hard, even when it's difficult, even when there's suffering. He says, we press forward for the cause of Christ. But not only that, but also for the sake of the church. Notice what he says back in verse number 24. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Notice, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Why is Paul suffering? So that people can hear. For the body. He's suffering, struggling, persevering for the body. They need Paul's example. They need Paul's wisdom. They need the written scripture. Could you imagine if Paul, the first time he was persecuted, would have just said, I quit, I'm giving up, I'm leaving, I'm going away, I'm, I, I, I'll just go undercover from here on out. Could you imagine how we would have missed All of the great doctrinal or many of the great doctrinal books of the New Testament? No, Paul is pressing forward for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the church. But then, not only that, but for the maturing and growing of believers. Notice what he says down in verse number 28. He says, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, notice what he says in verse 28, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What's he saying? That I struggle, I keep on moving, I keep on pressing so that when believers stand before God, they can stand before him mature. They can stand before him prepared. They can stand before him ready because I have invested the truth in their life. I have modeled the truth in their life. I have shown, shared, and exemplified God's truth, God's working in me, and because of that, they're more equipped to stand before the Lord. I wonder, is someone going to be able to stand before the Lord and point back at any of our lives and say, you know what, it was his example. You know, she just thought that, that she was just kind of watching kids and, and, at church when she was teaching Sunday school. But can I tell you, she made a difference in my life. She helped me to mature in my faith. You'll never know the, the prayers that came on my behalf. And they helped to, to push through a dark time. And I pushed through it. And now I'm growing in the Lord. Someone invested. Can I tell you, people have invested in your life. That's why you're here. 
So who are you investing in? Paul says, I want to present these believers perfect or mature or complete when they stand before the Lord. Who are you helping to stand before the Lord? We have a reason to persevere. Don't quit. Don't quit. Persevere. Suffering, don't quit. Struggling, don't quit. Life's hard, don't quit. There's someone watching you. And I will tell you, the moment you quit is the moment someone else makes an excuse that says, because you quit, I'll quit too. Don't quit. Paul, as a steward, says, I have a message to share. Paul, as a steward, says, says, I have a reason to persevere. But then Paul, in verse number 29, shows that as a steward, <laughs> I have a power to experience. Notice with me in verse number 29. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. What's Paul saying? It takes energy. It takes effort. It takes work to make a difference in people's lives. Paul says, I'm at work. Some of you today can say, we're working. We are working. I am working. I'm I'm laboring for the Lord. I'm working in this direction. I'm doing this. I'm fulfilling this. I'm serving in this ministry. I am working. I'm laboring for the Lord. Notice the two words that he uses in verse number 29. He says that, that, that he labors. That word means that, that he works to the point of exhaustion. He works till he's worn out. He's laboring. And then he uses the word striving. That word striving is from where we get our word agony. He says, I am laboring to the point of exhaustion and I am agonizing with the opportunity that I have to make a difference and an impact on the lives of others. What an example. I tell you, it takes energy. But notice what he says. Because as Paul is working, and as we labor, notice notice that Christ works. Notice what it says in verse number 29. That I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Christ works in us while we labor. (laughs) We labor, we're laboring, we're striving according to his working, which is working mightily in us. That means that Paul knew what it was to labor and struggle, but he also knew what it was that when he ran out of personal, physical Paul strength, he experienced Christ's strength. He says, Christ is at work in me. He would write the church at Philippi, and I realize that this verse has been taken out of context to 
in, in a million different ways. But he says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He prays for this church. In chapter 1, in verse number 11, notice how he prays for them. He prays that they would be strengthened. He prays that they would be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and longsuffering with joy. Paul says, I'm praying that you'd be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. And I want you to know that as I'm working, I'm experiencing that glorious power because Christ is working in me. You realize that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. That the same glorious power that brought Christ from the dead lives in you. That's strength. And as a steward, there are things that God calls us to that may seem over our head and beyond our strength. And when those moments come, the Lord Where he guides and where he calls, he will provide the strength to make it. Have you ever looked at someone's life and thought, I I just can't understand how they could face that struggle. I can't understand how they could serve on that mission field. I can't understand how they could continually serve. That just looks impossible. That's because it is. It's humanly impossible. But when it looks and appears humanly impossible, God provides strength. You're a steward today. You're a steward today. You have been given the word of God. You have been given a life of influence. And now... The question is, is what am I going to do with my stewardship? See, you could be a bad steward. I mean, you could be a steward and a bad one. I mean, we've all known bad managers before. But the Lord says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 2, as Paul's speaking, he says that a steward is to be found faithful. You have a message to share. You have a reason to persevere. You really do. And you have a power to experience when you say, Lord, here I am. I just want to be at work fulfilling your word in the world of influence in which I have. Would you say that today? And would you pray that today? Paul would say, strive, labor, so you can experience Christ working in you. If you're not experiencing the power of Christ, maybe you're not doing any labor that requires it. So maybe today the Lord would just say, I want you to take a breath. I want you to turn from sin. I want you to submit your life I want you to take your stewardship seriously and I want you to move forward. Over the next few weeks and months,
as things begin to lift, as people begin to gather, as relationships again are reunited, maybe they need to see a new you, a steward of God. And with that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word. And God, how convicting it is, how challenging it is. But yet, Lord, how encouraging it is that the Lord Jesus Christ is in us. That we have a treasure, riches that money can't buy and death can't take away. Jesus, you live in us. We're amazed. So, Lord Jesus, would you not only live in us, but would you take over our life? Call us to live as stewards, servants, and your sons, that we may share with the world and fulfill the word of God to those that we have influence on. Lord, do it in my life. Do it in our church family's life. It's in your powerful name. Amen.